Alrighty, let's get started. Turn with me in your Bibles to Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to pick up in the middle of the life and ministry of Elijah. So many valuable insights from this man's life, his highs and his lows. Tonight, uh, we're going to take a look at some of the lows. Uh, we've seen the highs, and so we're going to ask God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts tonight. But just there's so many valuable truths here tucked away in your word through the life and example of Elijah. And Lord, through this famous passage of scripture, may you speak to our hearts. Lord, encourage us, strengthen us, and uh, help us to hear your still, small voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you've heard the saying, the best of men are but men at their best, right? And also, uh, men may have hearts of gold, but they have uh, feet of clay. Just meaning that nobody's perfect, and even the most exemplary lives uh, are filled with weakness and uh, vulnerability. So, no man or woman of God, especially, uh, should be, ever be put on a spiritual pedestal. But we tend to do that. I know I do sometimes. It's hard not to with some of these Bible heroes. Um, we see God miraculously using somebody, and uh, we forget that they're fallen human beings. Uh, we could do that with Elijah. I mean, who can pray and call down fire or pray and, and shut the heavens from rain and then pray again and they open up and uh, torrential rain pours forth. But James, in the New Testament, chapter 5, verse 17, uh, tells us that Elijah was a regular guy like everybody else. He was as human as we are. Uh, in the context, actually, of encouraging us that God could use us in very powerful ways and not to exclude ourselves from seeing God use us in supernatural ways like he used Elijah. Now, I'm sure that James was uh, perhaps thinking of chapter 19 that we're going to take a look at tonight when he said, uh, when he talked about Elijah being just a regular human being like we are. Uh, we've seen the heart of gold, last chapter, uh, the stellar faith, the incredible devotion of this man, the courage to challenge uh, 450 prophets of uh, Baal uh, to attest to, uh, to be battling, as it were, against the Lord. So uh, we've seen the 450 frantic sorcerer-type uh, false prophets chanting and dancing and dicing and slicing uh, themselves for eight hours trying to light a fire because whoever could light the fire... Uh, he was God, right? And they agreed upon it. So uh, eight hours went by, and uh, try as they might, they couldn't get the fire to light. And so uh, a humiliating public defeat there. So all of those 450 false prophets uh, were disgraced and then exposed as the fakes that they are and then executed at Elijah's word. And so we left that mountaintop, quite literally, Mount Carmel, experience there in chapter 18. Now it's time to go to chapter 19, 
where we will go from the heart of gold to the feet of clay. Now, it's time to see some of his uh, vulnerable areas. So what, what precious insights are here tonight for all of us who have feet made of clay? We do have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, but we also have a fallen sinful nature. So uh, for the context, with Israel now won over, singing the praises of God, the false prophets now given their just deserts, the three and a half year drought has served its purpose and it's time for rain. And so Elijah prays his God-inspired and led prayer and, and the skies open up and dark skies come, torrential rains pour down, the flash floods. And last we heard, both uh, Ahab and Elijah were racing back to the palace there under torrential rains, downpours. First time in three and a half years that they were wet outside. Uh, they were racing 20 miles to Jezreel where the palace uh, is, where wicked Queen uh, Jezebel must now be informed of her devastating loss because those 450 false prophets are her boys. She is the state sponsor of Baal worship. And these are her young men who she has recruited. She feeds them at her table. And so she's in for a big surprise. Verse 1. Now Ahab now is back at home. He tells Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now let's pause there. That's a, rather a sad verse, verse 3. And so if you're taking notes, number one, the wrath of the queen. The wrath of the queen. So verse 1, uh, Jezebel must be now informed that um, she has suffered a loss. So I picture it this way. Ahab has some bad news for his wayward wife. Uh, he comes home, my darling demon, my little poisonous, my little poisonous princess. You know she is a princess, right? Uh, we've suffered a little setback today. Our 450 guys were single-handedly wiped out by Elijah. She hates, she hated Elijah to begin with, but now it's really bad. And so uh, Jezebel, I found a nice image for you. Do not mess with Jezebel, <laughs> right? Unless you mean business. And so, so sad how this all goes down. So what a lesson as we look at their godless reaction to seeing the miraculous hand of God, not, not just with drought and rainfall at, on command, but also the fire falling from heaven and still hardening their hearts Exodus 8 and verse 15 starts that whole narrative about Pharaoh. In spite of everything he saw, the judgment of God continued to just harden his heart. And here's an anatomy of a, of a damned soul. 
how to wind up in hell in three easy steps. One, harden your heart. Two, harden your heart. Three, harden your heart. Now, let's not ever follow Ahab's example. Here's Ahab's take. You have it in front of you. His conclusion, it's so sad. It's unbelievable to me. After what Ahab, remember what he saw? He saw the whole thing unfold. He saw the prophets dancing around and the humiliation of no fire. And then he saw Elijah putting water on top of the sacrifice, not once, not twice, but three times, soaking wet. He saw at the prayer of Elijah, the fire fall down from heaven, Ahab, with his own two eyes, licking up the entire sacrifice, the stones and the dirt and the water all gone. And yet he goes home and he doesn't say to the queen what the Lord had done. Oh, what Elijah had done and that he killed all the prophets. And so it's just really sad. You know, no, you won't believe if only you saw a miracle, sir, or whoever it is speaking. They always say that. If I were to see something out of the Bible, like it says in the Gospels, then I would believe. But we have so many examples of uh, King Ahab and Pharaoh, worse yet, the Pharisees, in arm's length with God in a human body, raising the dead, opening blind eyes, (laughs) raising up uh, lame people and doing all kinds of miracles in front of them. And they don't believe. They go home to the palace and, they, and even though they've been lied to, they continue and perpetuate that lie. All caps lost, both of them. And so we look at this terrible example. So with the rain pelting against the palace windows, Jezebel's gazing out the window waiting for her husband to come back and, and tell her the good news that finally Baal has heard and has answered. And that's what she's thinking, no doubt, Uh, So in comes Ahab, sopping wet, out of breath, kind of exasperated. And uh, here's what he says. Here's what he should say in a perfect world, all right? Listen, my sweet cyanide, you know. (laughs) Even evil people have pet names, okay? (laughs) Let's be real here, dear. Between the three and a half year drought that Elijah called for And now the rainstorm, which he also called for, and the fire that fell from heaven in the name of the Lord that burned up the soaking wet sacrifice, including the stones, the dirt, and the water, my little blaspheming baby doll, (laughs) listen up. All right, we're outgunned. We're fighting against the Lord. Are we crazy? Honey, listen to me. Let's give this up, lest something more serious happen. I'll call for Elijah. Let's let's seek the Lord. Let's surrender. Let's get right with God. Listen for the joke. Let's just be real. (laughs) Oh, oh, I didn't, yeah, did you ring the bell? Jezebel, okay. All right, so... You know, some people, I'm telling you what, I just, uh, you got to rip up your sympathy card for them. You just got to rip up the sympathy card for some people. Uh, 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 Go ahead and show that that verse out of Revelation. 
Armageddon, the world's all but three minutes from being completely destroyed. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, appears in the sky with the church and the armed angels and the hosts of heaven. Then I saw the beast, the Antichrist, president of the world, and the kings of the earth, they're all together, and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. That would be the son of God and his army from heaven, and they fire upon him. Psalm 2 says of that scene, and the Lord laughs. He just can't hold back a chuckle. Like, like the little ants are, you know, arming themselves, you know, against him. Come on. Sympathy cards? I, 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 I don't feel sorry for somebody like that, like King Ahab and uh, Jezebel. Unbelievable. So, so after calling down fire and winning Israel over, uh, he, he's telling her, he lines up all of our prophets and kills them all dead, and Jezebel sees red, and so now puts out a royal decree. And what does she do? She texts him, okay? She texts Elijah. And what does she text? Four little words. You're a dead man, all right? So he gets the text that he, <laughs> you know, because up comes that picture of right there. There it is in the text box. <laughs> And he believes her more than the promises of God. Now, it was a line from the 18th century English poet uh, that perhaps is apropos here. Uh, Hell has no fury like a woman scorned, right? Now, the word scorn just means humiliated or mocked or disrespected. And that's how Elijah feels when he gets this message. Uh, at what appears in the text next, we are not prepared for. Verse 3, Elijah was terrified and ran for his life. Now, she could have just, he's already in the neighborhood. She could have just gone out and had him killed, right? Why did she send him a little message? Well, she wants to humiliate him. She wants to do to him what just got done to her. So he, she knows he's got new converts. The Lord, he is God, right? All of Israel saw that, and Elijah is his prophet. Well, watch this. I'm going to kill you in 24 hours, buddy. Watch him run, like a little scared rabbit. And now he goes out of town. So she gets what she wants. She's thinking, why just kill him dead when, when I could show him to be weak and afraid of me and have those Israelites look back to their queen with a little pride and dignity. Look at him run. All I had to say is, I'm going to kill you, fella. And he ran. So my question here is, wow, I have written down, wow, is this the same Elijah from the last chapter? Um, a great man of God, heroic character, shining light to Israel in the midst of their pagan idolatry, courage, uh, marching into Samaria in the beginning, last chapter. Goes right into the palace and tells Ahab, 
God's judgment is upon you in this land. Three and a half years, there'll be no rain. There'll only be rain with my word. <laughs> you know, well, where's the boldness of this guy to obey God, hiding out and having ravens feed him, uh, trusting the Lord daily for his daily bread with that widow and the jar that never ran uh, dry of oil and the bin that never ran out of flour. What a miracle. You know, I mean, he, he, he was believing God to raise the dead. And, and because of his prayer and faith and devotion to God, that widow's boy who died was raised to life. He calls for a contest with 450 false priests. He calls down fire, calm, cool, and collected. He has 450 of them put to death. He prays for the end of a drought, 1,260 days of no rain, and it starts to rain. And then he gets a message from one wicked woman. I swear to my gods, you've got 24 hours to live. And he runs for his life, the wrath of the queen. Okay, continuing on, three and four. We're only gonna get a part of the way through, perhaps, down to um, verse 13. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I know better than my ancestors. (laughs) Let's park there and talk about those couple verses. So we've had the wrath of the queen and now the despair of the prophet. He has made it to the infamous broom tree uh, where he's going to hide out for a while there in the desert. Now, how do you go from faith to fear, from hero to humiliation, to calling down fire to running for your life, despairing even of life. Well, first he flees down to Beersheba there. It's 90 miles south, and um, it's in the desert. If you've been to Masada, as we have, a bunch of us have from the church, if you go about 100 miles directly west, right in that same kind of barren wilderness, you will will find uh, Beersheba. And so he's in the middle of nowhere. And so your text says that he goes ahead and he tells the servant, look, uh, uh, by the way, Beersheba is the last stop on the train south. That's as far as Israel goes. (laughs) So he's thinking, you know, to his servant, his attendant, he says, no use you dying too. I mean, she may come down this south after me, but why don't you just go your way and set up shop here, do what? Do your thing here. I'm going to go, and he, and he goes an, an extra 20 miles or so and secludes himself in isolation. He sees this broom tree, and he goes, man, I need a little shade. And so that's where he ends up. Now, the prayer. I mean, Elijah just snaps. What a meltdown. I've had it, God. Let's just end this right now. Take me home. I'm just like all my backslidden ancestors anyway. What is he saying by that? He's saying that the failure of Jezebel and Ahab to repent is his fault. 
he, he's looking at this as a, he thought, oh, everybody's just going to fall in line now. But that's not what happened. And so he's really taking everything quite personally. I don't know. Can you relate to, to uh, ha, have you ever said, you know, I just can't take this anymore? <laughs> How many of you, never mind. <laughs> uh, just everybody just raise your hand. You know, uh, something else just comes your way. You know, you've had a bad year. This happened, this happened, that happened, this happened. And then one little thing, one little four uh, word message comes your way and you just say, that's it, I'm done, done. Not this on top of all of that. And that's kind of what you have going on here. Let's answer the question, what, what went on? Because if it goes on with him, that how, how much more us? And so first I think some insights is, I would say, watch out for the curveball. Here's a curveball. He was unprepared. He thought the battle was done. He thought, well, look what happened. Fire came down from heaven. So this, it's all over, man. I'm going to race to the palace. And in his head, uh, no more Jezebel, no more Ahab, none of this. The court's going to repent. We're going to restore Israel. I'm going to be the esteemed prophet. Maybe I'll be living in the palace in the back or something like that. And he's got it mapped out. And then what happens, folks, is that we have it all planned out, charted our course, and how we think it should go after that kind of year, please. Now this has to happen. And when it doesn't, you get disillusioned. And that's the definition. That disillusion happens when we get our hopes up about something and map out our own lives and suddenly come to find out God has a different plan. And then we get all bummed out and we start, oh, that thing with, oh, I've got some questions, okay? You know, and then we just slip out the back. We stop going to church now because we got questions. I've got questions, okay? You know? <laughs> And meanwhile, the devil's laughing with all his demons because he's severed you from, from sitting in the congregation, being in service uh, to the Lord because you've got questions. Well, your questions is just saying, God, I don't like how this is unfolding. That's not a question. That's a statement. <laughs> you don't have questions when it's not working out your way. You have complaints and objections I hate to be the one to tell you that. <laughs> so watch out for that. You know, just be flexible. Be flexible. God is working a plan. Well, I didn't see it coming. How can you ever see anything that's coming from heaven? Didn't see it coming. Have a loose grip. You know, we're supposed to go this way. And God's like, no, you're supposed to go this way. Why fight the Lord? I mean, just do your best with what he hands out. Amen? Uh, number two, watch out for your strength. Check this out. I didn't notice this. I got this from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. All right? This is what he said about this passage. He said, Elijah fails in the very point at which he's strongest. And that is where most people fall. It is the wisest man who proves himself to be the greatest fool, Solomon, just as the meekest man, Moses, loses his temper and has bitter words. Abraham 
famous for his faith, fails at trusting the Lord. And Job, with his patience. So he who was the most courageous of all men, Elijah, fled from an angry woman. So what's up with our strength being our greatest weakness? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. It's called presumption. Presumption is saying, I got this. This is who I am. I'm good at this. This is my thing. You know, I'm the meekest man in the world, so I don't have a trouble with temper. And then boom, you see? Oh, I never fall at that. Oh, I don't have a struggle with that. You know, he says, Galatians says, watch out. You think you stand lest you fall. And it's that presumption of saying that I've got an ability in an area. It's leaning on your God-given ability instead of the God who gave you the ability. Because unless God blesses that ability that he's given you, that's kind of part and parcel with who you are, that you sometimes get mixed up and you almost think, well, that's the way I am. No, it isn't the way you are. It's the gracious way God made you. And if you're not, blessed, you're not leaning on him, that thing that you do is now a liability. And so the Lord let that happen to him. Presumption. And then finally, my last thing about this is watch out for exhaustion. Spiritually, mentally, physically, when you're depleted. I'll tell you what, I, I've been doing this, I've been working at this for 35 years. I've listened to a lot of married couples in 30 years, I've heard a lot of stuff. And the worst things happen when somebody's exhausted. Words get said or things get done or not done because somebody's just depleted. Somebody's just tired. Why on earth would you sit down at the end of a long day or at the end of a long tiring week and then bring up things that, that require emotional energy and, and diplomacy and tact and for you to be sharp. Instead, you do it right at the end, right before bedtime. At 11 o'clock at night, you bring it up. Hey, I've, I just remembered something I want to talk to you about. Are you crazy? <laughs> You're crazy. And don't call me at 12 midnight. <laughs> Never underestimate the destructive potential of burnout. One commentator said you have two options uh, with Jesus' command. He said to his disciples, come apart and rest for a while with me, or don't do that and just simply come apart. We, he, the Sabbath, the principle of Sabbath is slipped into one of the, the, it's one of the 10 commandments. The Sabbath has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But the principle lives on that we are more than just pagans trying to get by in this life working seven days a week. He said, man, give it a rest. That's what human beings do. They have a Sabbath. Knit into our lives is God's command to rest, to unplug, to come close to him, to worship him, uh, to stop with our frenzied uh, pace, to take naps, to walk, to laugh, to talk, to put down the devices and put away the spreadsheets and take a break. Amen? Amen. Honestly. 
a precaution for all of us. It's easy in this day and age to set yourself up for a fall by allowing depletion spiritually, running on fumes, spreading yourself too thin, uh, never knowing how to say no, uh, unrealistic expectations of yourself and others, not taking care of yourself physically, and running on fumes spiritually. Uh, there are many Christians who just go to church on Sunday and they do not open their Bibles much during the week. They don't go to midweek services like some. <laughs> now, take heed, lest you who think you stand <laughs> fall. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So, listen. A lot of people just run on fumes. And then, then I asked them in the office, I asked them, when's the last time you read your Bible? And then, then, then what did you expect? You've been running on empty, and so there's a, you ran on a gas, and there was a crash. You happened to run out at a really dangerous spot on 101, like my wife did once. No, she ran out of gas, and I was in the traffic. I was in the traffic behind, just wondering, what on earth is going on? <laughs> that I found out later. Barb said, hey, I ran out of gas on 101 <laughs> and, and stopped up the whole freeway. <laughs> and I'm like, you, you, you're the one? <laughs> no, really, seriously, you just, you know, fly your plane, fly, fly your plane with no gas. Just keep flying. Oh, I'm sure. It'll just, you'll be fine. <laughs> Elijah was flying without refueling. So instead, let's just keep working on it. Learn to pace yourself, to, to balance your life with moderation. Cultivate your inner life with God. Slow down. Create time to get refreshed. Take care of yourself. Eat right. Exercise. <laughs> Develop a sense of humor. Hmm. <laughs> Invest in friends. Everybody has something that brings them peace. What brings peace to you? What kind of hobby? What kind of thing that you do that just renews your mind? You know? So failure happens, and it happened uh, to Elijah, like Peter on the Sea of Galilee, for whatever reasons or combinations thereof, Elijah got his eyes off of God and sinking, drowning and doubts and fears. And, but just, just like Peter, the Lord refu uh, rescues first, then he brings the lesson. It's, it's really encouraging to one who often needs rescuing uh, that the Lord first reaches out and saves us. And thankfully, God didn't answer his prayer. You know, some of our prayers should not be answered. Lord, just kill me. You know, that would be one of them. Amen? All right. Five through eight. Then he lay down under that tree, fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals. Sounds familiar, John 21. And a jar of water. He ate and drank. And then lay down again, the angel of the Lord, okay, now we know who he is, came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey's too much for you. 
So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, which is another name for Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were dealt out there, the mountain of God. So 90 miles later is where he's going to end up. Now, we've seen the wrath of the queen, the despair of the prophet, and now the grace of the Lord. The grace of the Lord. Jesus to the rescue, the Lord ministers to this down and out man of God uh, in a most tender and gracious way. Probably not what Elijah was expecting. And so, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, middle age, middle age meaning back in the day, artists painted portraits of biblical scenes. And I found one that I really liked of Elijah there. It's pretty buff. Uh, <laughs> Well, you'd have to be, right, to be Elijah. And uh, there he is being ministered to with the bread and the water from the angel of the Lord. Now, listen, uh, we've talked about the angel of the Lord before. When, when, an angel is an angel, right? Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14 says that God sends angels. They're called ministering uh, spirits sent to minister and to serve those who shall inherit salvation. So there are angels among us, and they have a job, and they are working with the saved. That is what they do. But when you have the angel of the Lord, you don't have just an ordinary angel. Uh, listen to what gutquestions.com, and I highly recommend that. It's a great resource, gutquestions. You go in and type your question, and many times it'll come up like this if you... Who is the angel of the Lord? Got questions right here. Got answers. The angel of the Lord speaks as God, identifies himself with God, and exercises the responsibilities of God. They're a great definition. That angel of the Lord, after he appears to people in the Old Testament, they always comment, I've seen the face of God. You see, and that angel of the Lord does and speaks just like the definition says uh, uh, in ways that only God himself can. So Jesus, who claimed to be, to have existed before Abraham, John chapter 8, verse 58, and also in John 1, verse 1, that he was with God at the beginning and was God at the beginning, John 17, glorify me, Jesus praying, Father, with the glory I had with you before the foundation of the world. Therefore, we know that this is Jesus, the Lord, before he was incarnated in a human womb of Mary. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is there under that tree, just like he was with the three Hebrew uh, young men in the fire uh, as well, and so other appearances as well. And so Jesus comes to him and says, sleep and eat, man, it's that easy. Step one, sleep and eat. Get some sleep, get some rest, and take care of yourself now. Uh, that fire with the coals and the bread and the water just reminds me of the breakfast that the Lord prepared for the weary disciples in John 21. That was my allusion there before. So God's love prevails as it will always with all of his children. Now, the Savior gently touches him. No rebuke, no lecture. The journey's too much for you, man. Here's some food and water. He eats and he goes back to sleep. And the Lord doesn't say, hey, 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 hey. Come on, what are you going back to sleep for? 
He lets him go back to sleep. He says, you need some recovery time. I like that. Just gentle. And he says, a little more. Gets him up to eat and to drink. And then Elijah's off to the mountain of God. That's just a, a beautiful picture of what's waiting in store there. So I say, uh, take heart. When we're at our lowest, God is in, uh, operates in his love and mercy and shines in the brightest of ways when we're down and out. Romans 5.8 says, it, you know, that's the way God is. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't when we had our acts together that he laid down his life, but when we were at our worst, God was at his kindest toward you and toward me. It's so good to have a God who just loves us. Even when we're down and out. One of my favorite scriptures is Matthew 12, verse 20, where there's a quote from Isaiah 42 and verse three that says, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. He's saying this, the Messiah's ministry is being described Jesus as somebody, when you're snapped in two and frayed at the edges and holding it together with a thread, he's come to stitch you up, to bind you up, to hold you together, not to break you apart. And so when we get broken like a reed and we're just hanging on by that little fiber, right? We're just thinking, you know, we've let God down. Look at us. God's just going to finish the job. And he says, ah, on the contrary, I've come to heal that. I, and, and the second place, the, 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 when there's just barely a spark left inside, threatening to go out any second, and, and lots of smoke, and it's like, oh, there it goes, there it goes. He didn't come uh, to extinguish that faltering flame, but he came to kindle you to full fire. That's our God. You get this tiny little spark. The Lord says, that's enough. That's enough. I'm going to fix that. I'm going to work with that. You got, I got a little fiber left before <laughs> completely severed in two. He goes, that's enough. That's enough. I can work with that. I'm going to fix that for you. So the 40 days he's, that it takes, it should take him 10 days to get to the place of the Ten Commandments, shall we call it. It takes them 40 days. Why? 40 days and 40 nights. Israel had a spiritual failure, so the Lord's leading him to put it together to wander 40 days and 40 nights, just like the Jews who hardened their hearts, had some disobedient problems, you know, to think about it, to get it right in his head. And we're going to find out that when he gets to see the Lord, the Lord is going to say, did you, did you get it? We're going to take a look at that now. So let's finish up tonight, just make it to verse 13. There he went into a cave, so he's there, the Mount of Ten Commandments, uh, and the burning bush, by the way, is up there. He went into the, to the cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, 
The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice came a second time. What are you doing here, Elijah? Hmm. So we've seen the wrath of the queen, the despair of the prophet, the grace of the Lord. Now the answer to his problem. The answer to his problem. We only got a couple minutes to finish up, but let's take a look at this because this is so rich with uh, meaning. God has drawn him to the place that will bring a remedy to his spiritual problem. Exactly what he needs. And it's exactly what Mount Sinai stands for. Every time you think of Sinai, it's where God's revealing himself in a fresh way. He's inspiring a leader who can't go on anymore. Moses, show me your glory, you know, or, or reveal yourself to me. Let me hear you. In fact, he's in the very same region where Moses in Exodus 33 had his vision of the glory of the Lord. And that's what this guy needs. That's what we all need. And what a lesson this is going to be. So Sinai is all about hearing from God, from being, uh, for being inspired by the Lord. So God's got a question, so he gets there. He's settled in. The word of the Lord comes to him, and he says, Elijah, have you learned anything in the last 40 days? Elijah, what are you doing here? Which translates, how did you get to this point? Tell me. Do a little self-searching here. Where'd you go wrong? How'd you end up here? Hard-hearted, running from the queen, deserting your post, miserable, wanting to die. Where did it all go bad? He wants to know. What are you doing here? Do you get it? Do you get it yet? Answer. And Elijah's answer, no. The answer is long but it translates into one word. No, I don't get it. I have not learned. And here's what he says. He fails uh, round one. Here's what he says. I've been a pretty devoted follower of yours, in case you haven't noticed, just saying. All right. And it's gotten me into a little bit of trouble, <laughs> and which is a little unfair in my mind. All right. So that's not the case for your people Israel, by the way. And here's the list of all their sins. Number one, they've broken your covenant. Number two, they've torn down your altars. Number three, they've executed your prophets. And guess who's next? That would be me. And I'm the only one left that you have. I'm the only one left, and they're about to kill me too. So to answer your question, Lord, do I get it? Do I know what, how I ended up here? The answer is no. You know why? Because I'm still focused on my own strength and the sins of others and their attack on poor, pitiful me. And I'm the only one. 
All right? The Lord's going to tell him later, uh, you're not the only one. I have 7,000 people around. Okay? So just so you know. Here's what he could have said. Here's a better response. It's always easier 3,000 years later for us to say, Elijah, man, it was so easy. All you had to say was, well, Lord, well, yeah, what am I doing here? I took my eyes off of you. I lost my focus. Uh, I let Jezebel's threat mean more to me than your promise. Uh, I ran away instead of running to you. Um, I started to resent your people for their weaknesses. started to hate ministering to them. I've become bitter toward them. Uh, I got a little too big for my britches, calling down fire. I just started to look to my own strength instead of yours. My head got a little big, ego inflated. Who can call down fire from heaven? You know, I let my celebrity status, and he was one. I let my celebrity status as a man of God in the world, a sought-after speaker, you know, get to me. I started to believe the press about me. But here I am, and here's what he says. You should have said. But here I am. You led me here so I could get a fresh vision. Just like my ancestors had to wander around till they got it. I get it. You made me wander around for 40 days, 40 nights. Ha ha, Lord. I got it. All right. But here I am. And like Moses who asked you, oh Lord, show me your glory now that I've seen the error of my ways. Give me a fresh vision of you. Oh, that would have been good. <laughs> but he didn't do it. God's grace prevails. And even though he doesn't have the right answer, God's going to give him what he needs. That's our God. I just, I just love that. So uh, Elijah's missing something that's called a fresh experience with God. That's what he's missing. I know nobody here could relate to that, but a fresh experience with God. And then, after he gets this dynamic vision, he's going to ask him the same questions to see. Now do you get it? And we're going to see next week how he answers that. But let's talk about this wind and the earthquake and the fire. So he says, go, out, go outside. Go outside. I'm going I'm to inspire your heart to get back into ministry and loving me and making this not a dragon. You're going to want to live after this. <laughs> Your Christian life and service isn't going to be boring and misery anymore because I'm going to touch your heart and you're going to hear me. But here's how we're going to do it. Look for me, okay? Number one, he goes out there. A windstorm howls through like no human being has ever witnessed. Rocks are shattering, your text says. Chasms are forming from the windstorm. Elijah looks up. There he is. Where, where is he? He's not there. Then the... The Lord's playing with him, saying, am I here? Or am I in this earthquake? The mountain shakes, rumbling, that terrible thunderous sound. He loses his balance. He looks up. He's expecting, there, <laughs> there's no Lord. And then third, speaking of fire falling, Elijah, uh, the roar of flames, brilliant heat and blinding light. And Elijah looks up for sure. There he is. He's going to be there and nothing. Now he's standing there and he's looking, where? You're going to show me. You're going to pass by where? Where are you? I'm here. Destroyed him. Just got through to him. Elijah, you're looking for me in all of your performance-oriented thinking. 
that I'm with you when you're calling down the fire, a big dramatic shaking of the earth. But you know what? I'm with you there, but I'm with you when you're in the depths of despair, in an isolated place, in a lonely, dark cave. Here I am, he says, and speaks to his soul. And Elijah just pulls his hoodie down over his head. (laughs) God, that's God. You're here in a gentle whisper. No fanfare, drama, big explosive displays. The majesty of God in a quiet cave with a downcast soul with a whisper. (laughs) I can hear the Lord say, you've been... You looking for me? You looking for me? Here I am. Oh, wow. That's, that's just life-giving. The soul needs to know I'm talking to God and I heard the voice of God. I'm, he's no longer riding on fumes anymore. He's been filled up with what? With a whisper. He didn't have to go and do this enormous feed and get his quiet times all in order and, and, and stop all his besetting sins all at once and, and reach for the stars with his faith and all of this stuff that we have in our minds and prerequisites for God to love and accept us. And he says, I'm here with you. You're wandering around for 40 days, running away from some Queen Jezebel. And I'm still with you. I still love you. And here I am. One of the most, that close with this little illustration, kind of just tell you about how God used this passage with me. After, in 2001, when I got diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, as most of you know the story, but there's always an aspect that I can tell you about. And after being sick for a year, or more, chemotherapy, uh, radiation, then a bone marrow transplant, 60 days in the hospital for the bone marrow transplant. I suffered, (laughs) it was hard. And in the middle of that, I lost the will. to serve the Lord. I was just tired and sick and sick of being tired and sick, right? I was nauseous all the time. I didn't want to read my Bible. I didn't care who was in the room anymore. And I really started to feel guilty about that because people would come and go and they'd be lost and I didn't care. I I just deal with it. You guys, I, I... I don't want to tell anybody about Jesus. I don't want worship music playing. I don't want the Bible. I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to pray. And then I started to pray to the Lord and tell him how miserable I felt and what a failure I was. And the Lord spoke to me out of this passage saying to my heart, I love you just the way you are. This is enough. You're not just as good as your last sermon or how many people you, st- you talk to at Starbucks and how many exciting, dramatic stories you have. 
and I do have a lot of exciting <laughs> dramatic stories, none of those things mattered to me. Because I'm thinking, well, I'm not doing anything for you. I'm not even reading my Bible. I'm not having a quiet time. I don't want to. That was the worst part. I don't care about these nurses. They're on their own. <laughs> and the Lord's like, Ross, I love you. I just plain love you. And I have, whenever I get stuck going back to performance-oriented love with God, that he only loves me when I'm doing something for him or doing good spiritually, uh, I go back to that bed where I could offer him nothing. I could offer him nothing, and he just revealed to me, I just love you for the sake of loving you. That's it. It's enough. Everything you are and are not. I just, I just love you. Oh, man. I go back to that so many times because it's so healing. It just takes the pressure off of you, you know. He just loves you. Why would he make you if he didn't love you to begin with? Why would you make somebody you didn't like, right? <laughs> That's my opinion. I exist. He made me. He thought me up, right? Why would he think me up and make me and then make me his own and then not like me very much? That doesn't make any sense, but that's the kind of lie that we often entertain. And so, you know, he had to tell Elijah, look, buddy, it's okay. You don't get it. Guess what? I love you anyway. And here I am, whispering to your heart, let me love you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for your great love and thank you that you just love us. It's agape love. It's just unconditional. When we're good, when we're bad, when we deserve, well, we never deserve it, but when we're acting well and when we're not, when we got it together, when we don't, you just love us. Thank you for that, God. Help that love to heal our hearts and set us free. And give us fresh new life each day to sit before you and let you whisper to us the still small voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. So, Father, we commit ourselves to your great love and listen for that voice of yours, Lord especially in times when we're in the cave. We need to get a fresh experience with you and make our Christian life and service worthwhile and not boring and empty and filled with drudgery. Speak to our hearts, Lord. If it's in the fire or earthquake or wind, that's fine, or just in a still, quiet place. We listen to your voice, and your voice is life. We love you. We commit ourselves to your care in Jesus' name. And all God's well-loved people said, Amen. 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 God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning. God bless.